Hey, do you remember what you did for your 21st birthday? Did you go out and have a few drinks? I certainly did. Well, for the folks we're going to be talking about today on the podcast, when they turned 21, they lost their legal right to live in the United States and had to figure out a way not to get deported to a country they may have no recollection of ever having lived in. Today, we're going to be talking about legal dreamers and whether Congress will make their 21st birthdays a little less stressful. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the new legal podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. Each week on this podcast, we feature the best reporting coming out of the Bloomberg Law newsroom from the courts to Congress to federal agencies. We've got it covered and we're bringing it all to you. Today, we're talking about immigration. So we all know about dreamers. These are children who enter the country as undocumented immigrants and are fighting to obtain legal status. It seemed like they had achieved this, or at least partly achieved it, in 2012 when President Obama issued his Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals executive order, also known as DACA. But then during the Trump administration, things got confusing. President Trump announced he would phase out DACA during his first year in office, but that phase-out plan was hit with several injunctions, which were ultimately upheld by the Supreme Court last year. And now, as one of his first actions after taking office, in fact, on his first day in office, President Biden reinstated the DACA policy. All of this has been pretty well covered, and I think the public has a pretty firm image in their head of what a DACA recipient, sometimes referred to as a dreamer, actually looks like. It's someone whose undocumented parents brought them to the U.S. without documentation themselves, and they've been living here for most of their lives. Well, that's one scenario, but today we're going to be talking about another scenario that honestly I didn't even know about until I started working on this podcast. The people we're talking about today are legal dreamers. Their parents enter the country on a temporary work visa, often an H-1B visa for highly skilled workers, and these visas allow for the visa holder's children to live in the U.S. with their parents. But there is a time limit on that. When those children turn 21, their legal authorization to live in the country basically evaporates. Genevieve Douglas, a reporter on Bloomberg Law's Labor and Employment Desk, just published a story about this conundrum and about a bill that passed the House that could solve a lot of problems for these legal dreamers, who, according to one estimate, number around 100,000. Genevieve says the reason this scenario exists is because of how those H-1B highly skilled visas work and because of just how long the wait is to get a green card. What our system has allowed is, say, H-1B visa holders, which are the specialty occupation visas that you find in a lot of like technology fields, STEM fields. They're very popular. They come to the U.S. on an H-1B visa and they are able to max out that six years that they're allowed on their H-1B visa once they get in line for their green card. They can stay in the U.S. indefinitely in that status because they're awaiting their priority dates to come current. Um, And that's the time in which what they're finding is that children that they brought to the U.S. when they were very young are all of a sudden facing this like imminent issue where, as you said, you know, that once they hit 21, they have to make a decision because they can they can no longer remain in legal status as a dependent of their parents. So what options are available to to these 21-year-olds? Um, do they have any legal options to be able to stay in the U.S. longer, or do they just have to go back to this country 
where their parents are from, where they may never have lived or may, they may never they have no memory of ever living there. Right. Um, there are slim options, I guess one can say. Um, few of these kids end up um, it, like in an illegal status, right? Um, staying in the U.S. undocumented, essentially. But what happens and what um, one of my sources described to me is kind of like limping along in, in a legal status, um, but, that, but one that's temporary. So um, once they graduate from high school, right, they can um, apply to U.S. colleges and universities and obtain an F-1 student visa, and that will keep them in, in legal status for a period of time from there, they can either kind of continue their studies, although it's not really financially feasible, per se, to, to do so indefinitely. Um, but then they have kind of the same option their parents face, right? Like they can study in a field that would qualify for an H-1B visa. They can obtain their own temporary work visa. But the problem is, is they've had this priority date, say, for a decade, right, as a dependent of their parents. And what they're doing once they start out on their own kind of journey through our legal immigration system is getting in the back of the line. And so they start their own, you know, what could be an eight decade wait. Eight decades. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that's just like a joke. Yeah. And that's, and that might even be a conservative. I mean, I've heard numbers ranging even longer. Yeah. I mean, if you're 21 and you have to wait eight decades for a green card, I mean, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, there's also Congress, uh, and it sounds like there was some action pretty recently in Congress. The House passed a bill that would address this. Sure. Yeah. So, so the thing that kind of took this longstanding issue and made it and made it timely again is is that the American Dream and Promise Act (HR6) uh, passed the House last month, and this is uh, legislation that's meant to give DACA recipients. Uh, TPS recipients, which is a temporary protected status um, that's country specific, a path to citizenship or a, legal, a path to legal status. So the, and this bill would, would apply to all, uh, would address the broader uh, DACA issue for the Dreamer issue, but it sounds like it would also address this very this specific part of it. Exactly. This this time, you know, this the, the Dream Act legislation has taken many shapes and forms since as far back as 2007. But this year, in this particular bill that the House uh, passed, does have provisions that create eligibility for these legal dreamers that we've been talking about. Um, And that's kind of a big win, right, for them, because there's finally, even if it's just an inkling, (laughs) um, there's there's potentially a chance um, and a pathway for them to find a congressional fix to this problem, because really that's the thing that I think would provide the most relief, right? If we're if we're looking at different ways that relief can be provided, whether in the courts or administratively or legislatively, I think that the legislative solution is probably one that they find number one on their list of things to achieve. Although, yes, yeah, you also mentioned in your story that um, you know the prospects for this bill in the Senate are looking a little murky. Um, but let's talk about, you know, the White House. The president has a lot of power. Um, the Obama administration obviously created DACA in the first place uh, with an executive action. Could the Biden administration go it alone and, and uh, solve this problem, you know, with an uh, uh, executive order? So I'm not. It, it, it's an interesting question, right, because when we talk about actions that presidents have taken, executive orders like like the DACA program, right, to to fix things that maybe aren't as feasible legislatively, um, it can open it up 
DACA is a perfect example. It can open it up to vulnerability to litigation and one might say like the whims of the next administration um, on whether or not these things stay in place. Uh, Certainly Biden uh, has been supportive of H.R. 6, which the House passed. Um, I think he's supportive of all of its elements, though I was not able to find like a specific reference to the quote-unquote legal dreamers that we're talking about. Um, That being said, this is kind of a niche area, right? So it's it's unclear really if the White House would take direct intervention for these individuals. And I guess it's it's also it's it's also worth pointing out, I guess that these affect the children of people who are by definition in very high income positions. Mm-hmm. You know, these the, by just by the the virtue of what type of visa they have, they're these are you know immigrants who are working in Silicon Valley or like in you know. Uh, very high tech fields. Sure. For the most, yeah. I mean, there's there's always been criticism of the H-1B program that it can be used to depress wages for, you know, whatever industry or specific field um, the temporary visa holders are in. But I think by and large, yes, we're talking about specialty occupation, quote unquote, high skilled um, workers. Well, finally, I guess sort of piggybacking off of that, um, you know, let's talk about the future of, uh, you know, H-1B, the programs. Do you think that if this issue doesn't get resolved and, it, you know, the legal dreamers situation is still lingering, that that will make it less attractive for, you know, highly skilled foreign workers to come to the U.S. if they know that their kids could be deported when they turn 21? It's an interesting question because you would think that it would, right? On on the surface, you would think, well, you know, if they see this happening um, to others, they wouldn't want that for themselves. But one thing we've seen with the H-1B program is that it just gains in popularity year after year after year. Um, we don't have specific data from USCIS for the most recent um, H-1B lottery that was held just at the end of March. But the year prior, uh, 275,000 registrants uh, threw their hat in the ring for what are essentially 85,000 visas available every year. So certainly demand is outpacing availability here. And so I don't think that the program itself will suffer from these issues. And maybe that's part of the problem, right, is that finding a solution, you know, the, the, the success of the program doesn't rest on finding a solution. That was Genevieve Douglas, uh, a reporter on the Labor Desk here at Bloomberg Law. Genevieve, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz, with special help from Macarena Carrizosa. Our editor is Jessica Coombs, and our executive producer is Josh Block. We're mixing up the format of On the Merits a bit, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Reach out to me on Twitter if you have any thoughts. I'm at David B. Schultz. That's David B. as in, boy, are my seasonal allergies acting up. Thank you, everyone, for listening to On the Merits, and we will be back next week. See you then. Hi, I'm Laura Carlson, and I'm dropping into your feed to tell you about Prognosis, a new daily show from Bloomberg. Monday through Friday, we'll spend a few minutes with you every afternoon to help you understand life in the time of COVID-19. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. 
So come back every afternoon for our coverage and stay safe.